have to confess that I am what many like to call a fair weather fan. I do not like cheering for teams that are constantly disappointing. It's one of the reasons I don't watch it, enjoy watching professional football. Because by reason of my residence, I am obliged to cheer for a team that has been rebuilding since 1959. <laughs> Go Lions. Now, I remember when I first got married, I confessed this desire to my wife to be cheering for a team that could at least win a few games on the regular. Uh, and she, her, her response to me was pretty much, you know, man up and cheer for your hometown team. Like, you got to cheer for the Lions whether they win or lose. And what she really meant was, you got to cheer for the Lions, whether they lose or lose. Um, I confess I was not expecting my marriage to use a sport that neither of us like as an analogy to point to my extremely conditional loyalties in life. But this is funny to look back on at the time, uh, now, because I do. I cheer for the Lions, even though I know better. I cheer for the Lions. I even went out and bought a Lions t-shirt, Detroit Lions t-shirt. I have no idea where it is anymore, but... Uh, clearly it matters a lot to me. Um, but I, I love the silly things that happen to us in marriage over the years. It's such a wonderful thing that God has created, but it's funny how even marriage itself, when I think about it, um, it's like the, the, the backbone, the, 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 the solid construct that, that binds our culture and our society together, this foundational um, idea of marriage. It, at times... Even our most close relationships seem a little bit like my relationship with a floundering football team because at times they seem fairly conditional, right? I, I've been to a lot of different weddings. I've even had the privilege over the years of performing a couple weddings for some of my friends. And, and, and I remember as I'm standing there between the two couple, between the two people, the couple, and they're, they're saying things to each other. At the very basic level, a wedding ceremony goes like this. Well, I love you if you love me. Well, I love you if you love me. Okay, well, give me a ring to prove it. Well, you give me a ring to prove it. Okay, but you've got you to gotta promise. No, 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 you've got to vow everything that you're going to love me in. And you've got you to gotta say it in front of all of these people who are going to hold you to it. Okay, I'll do that, but you've got to vow to me that you're going to love me in all of these seasons, and you've got to say in front of all those people who are going to hold you to it. And I'm standing here between these two people, and I go, well, give him the ring, give her the ring. Now give me a paper, or sign it. Right? Like, at, a, at a basic level, even, even the marriage ceremony is based on conditional promises that we give to each other. Now, we experience a certain level of stability, you know, over the years as we prove our faithfulness, as we have kids, and we experience a, a taste of what unconditional love feels like at times, but even this construct of marriage, the, the backbone of our society, this curator of human development and stability, if we're not careful, at times can, can be fairly conditional, our, our human relationships, even our closest ones, tend to take on this fair-weather nature if we're not conditional or if we're not careful. And, and so one moment, even, even in our closest relationships, we feel like we're good. And in the next moment, we feel like we're not good. 
You know, something happens, we do something, we say something wrong, and all of a sudden we're not in right relationship anymore. We're, we're, we're not right. And frankly, the idea of righteousness is what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks. And righteous literally just means in right relationship. Now, we tend to apply that to God a lot of times, appropriately so. But at the basic level, righteous just means I'm in a right relationship, whether with God or somebody else. And so when something goes wrong in a relationship, that righteousness now is, is threatened. And then here's what happens. We take this kind of conditional construct of human relationships and we, and we project it on God, right? We, one moment I'm good with God, uh, I'm in right relationship, I'm righteous, and then and if something happens to me or I commit a moral infraction or simply I fail to live up to a religious expectation that's been placed upon me and all of a sudden I begin wondering if I'm, if I'm right, if I'm righteous if I'm in a right relationship anymore and I feel like my relationship with God is on thin ice. Like, ah, uh, oh no, I just, ah, what did I do? What happened? Like, I'm so nervous. Like, am I good? Am I not good? Am I good? Am I not good? And, and somehow we've gotten to this point in our relationship with God where we've started to wonder, uh, uh, what, where's the freedom? Where's the joy? Uh, uh, how come my life doesn't really feel or look that different for, from other moral people who, who don't follow Jesus. Where's the power? I want to help you over the next couple weeks hopefully experience the freedom that this relationship with God can be. That, that simply receiving from Jesus what he accomplished on the cross 2,000 years ago can, can bring you to a place of assurance that your relationship with God is right forever. And that, and that can never, ever, ever be taken away from you. And when that happens, this is, here's what I believe. When you simply receive and you find the assurance that, that you are right with God, what will happen to you is a supernatural energy will come into your soul to do and to live in a way that you never, ever thought possible. You're going to be able to love others completely and love God unconditionally. And so we often try to use, however, we often try to use these external and these artificial factors to motivate people to live righteously. But I think something um, even more foundational, something even more basic, will actually be the motivating factor for you to experience joy, freedom, and, and liberty in your relationship with God. I, I think there's something even more basic that will set you free if we truly grasp it. Because here's the truth. Guilt, um, shame, even a pious form of religiosity has no power to transform your life at all. It doesn't. I'm sorry. You can't, you can't impose a sense of religiosity over someone and expect that that's going to be the thing that will transform them, that will help them experience freedom and joy that Jesus is offering. That is not powerful enough to transform someone's life. But I, I really believe this, that you can be right with God forever, which will in turn transform your human relationships 
to the point that you can be right with everyone. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to say a few things that's going to make you start wondering, uh, is he really, say, did he, do, do I not have to serve at church anymore? Is he saying I don't need a tithe? Like, didn't he just talk about being rich towards God? Like, is he saying I don't need to do these? I, okay, don't misunderstand me. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Obviously, I think it's a huge fan, I think it's a huge um, important thing that you are at church. I think it's a good thing, right? I think it's a big deal that you plug in at a local church. I, I think you probably should tithe because, like I said a couple weeks ago, being rich towards God is to your benefit. Um, but I want to speak to something that's, that's under that, that's more basic, that's more foundational, under the surface of why we do anything for Jesus or even with him. So that's what I want to talk about for the next two weeks Uh, in this little mini-series that I'm calling How to Always Be Right. How to Always Be Right. And we're going to talk about this concept of righteousness. How to always be right with God and how to always be right with everybody else. Talking about righteousness. Uh, And so this morning I want to title my message, How to Be Right Forever. How to Be Right Forever. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, I pray that as we... um, Open up our hearts to hear from you, that over the next few minutes that we share together, that you would begin to transform something on the inside of us that would change us forever. I pray that you would energize us supernaturally to experience the freedom and the joy of the gospel that only you can do. I pray that you would set us free. And for those of us here who really like the comforts of predictability and, and control of a pious form of religiosity. Jesus, I pray in your grace and in your love and in your tenderness that you would woo us to something even greater. Woo us and draw us away to your grace and to your love, which is the only thing that can transform us on the inside. I pray that you would do that this morning. Amen. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 10, and you can stand up. We're going to read God's Word together this morning. If you don't have it, you can read it on the screen. I always recommend reading it in your own Bible. I don't want you to go home and open this text of Scripture and go, how did he get that? Right? I, I want you to have your own relationship with God, and I really believe this. I say to my students a lot. I believe that your relationship with God is going to be very proportional to your relationship with your Bible. You can't know God other than his self-revelation to you. And so that's what I believe this morning. So anyways, we're going to read together Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. Now it says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. 
But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Well done. You can sit down. I want to underscore in our text this morning, Jesus' statement up here, it will not be taken away from her. It will not be taken away from her. This is going to become a major key as we unpack the significance of what Jesus is talking about in our text this morning. It will not be taken away from her. Do you know how many professed Jesus followers have convinced themselves that they are not okay with God? Like, I think that this kind of idea has become one of the major uh, problems or obstacles or toxins in our theology and in our church culture. And, and, and it gets worse because here's what happens. We, those of us who have already received Jesus and begun to follow Jesus, we've concluded at times that, that a relationship with God is not much different from a relationship with a sports team or a best friend or a spouse. And, and then we project this on God. Because now, now I have this thinking sensation that things aren't right. I'm not feeling good about, about my religious performance. Uh, things aren't right with God, and therefore I must not be right with God. And then we, we espouse this belief unto other people. I'm going to tell you right now, you, you can come to church with me, but you're going to have to change some things. Oh, yeah, anybody can come. That's what they say. Any, anybody can come. But if you're going to keep coming... You can't keep doing what I know you're doing on Saturdays and rolling here on Sundays and feel like, oh, things are all right. And we do this. We do this non-verbally. We do this uh, with little statements. We do this with little applications. We take scriptures out of context and use them in ways that God didn't really intend them for. And we do this uh, not because we don't fully understand how to navigate certain scriptures. We do this because we, we're carrying the sinking, the sensation that that things aren't right. Well, how do, you, how do you know things aren't right? Well, I know because I'm not doing right, so I can't be right. And when I don't be right, I don't feel right. And here's a slippery slope uh, that happens when we keep believing and projecting this onto other people. That, I am, that I'm right with God when I do right. Here's a slippery slope. I don't feel right because I didn't do right. And you know what I feel? I feel shame. Or I do feel right because I did right. And you know what I feel? I feel pride. And, and we build whole cultures of communities on this conversation. Church, come on. Hey, stop that. Enough of that. Young people, quit it. I don't care if it's cool or hip. Just, just don't. And we've done this for a long time. We've unintentionally sent the message that Christianity is all about what you're not supposed to do so that you can be right with God, so that you can feel right about yourself. Whether we've done that intentionally or unintentionally, there's a problem. Neither of those are accurate. See, the backbone, the spine of the Christian religion is not predicated on the performance, the religious performance of human beings, but on the performance of one man alone, and his name is Jesus. He's already done what we could never do. And so when we espouse this belief to other people, we're going down a very slippery slope. It is not good news to tell people that they got to do right to be right. That's called normal news. Actually, that's called below average news. 
Hey man, I got good news for you. You gotta do right to be right. Only the elite will make it. Only the incredibly disciplined religious few are gonna make it into heaven. Hallelujah, brother. That's not good news. There are literally loads and loads of Christians who live under the sense that only a special few are going to get into heaven because only a few can live right for God. When we project this belief onto other people, we've turned the good news of the gospel into below average news that has no power to save anybody. Now, that's not the narrative we actually, we actually happen to get in the text of Scripture. It's not the narrative that the Bible lends us to believe. In fact, I... In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I love, I love this passage because Paul makes his appeal to the believers living in Corinth to experience the, the freedom of a new life in Jesus that he has made possible for them. And he gets to the end of chapter 5 and he makes his appeal, this bold claim that our new life in Jesus now is the overflow. It's the direct result of what Jesus has already done on our behalf. In other words, we we now have a righteous relationship with the holy and sovereign creator of everything because Jesus did what we could not do and paid the penalty that I deserve to pay that my sin incurred. Jesus did it for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this. I love this. This This is, if you highlight in your Bible, this is worth highlighting. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, God made Jesus. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, do you know what that's called? That's called, that's not fair. I used to say to my dad when I was younger, that's not fair. He's like, you want fair? You should be in hell right now. Okay, dad. He's like, fair is you pay for what you actually did. God made him, Jesus, to be sin who didn't know sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, it was my fault. It was for our sake. It was because of me that Jesus bore the infinite wrath of a holy God. Instead of me paying this infinite price for my heart condition, which is in direct opposition to God, that's called sin, out of which flows moral infractions against God's commands. Instead of me paying that price, the only one who was even qualified to pay that price, the God, man, the infinite one who 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 takes our place. Jesus loved me so much and took my place and in turn, in exchange, God granted my eternal pardon and now freely offers me the righteousness that Jesus deserves. He forgave my enormous record of sins and, and he's unconditionally given me this intimate and secure relationship that can never be threatened and can never be removed and that really only Jesus is worthy of, but now offers freely to those who have put their faith in Jesus. Jesus did all the work to make it possible for you to be right with God, and it is from this position alone that you have the ability to do anything that is pleasing to God and lasting beyond your own life. See, see the power to do right is not in your willpower or your impressive moral strength. The power to do right is when you let go. When you let, when you let go, when you, when you let go, when you release control and you say, God, I, I can't. 
but I accept what He's already done. And what is going to enter into your soul is a supernatural energy to do and to live in such a way that is actually pleasing to God, which will in turn lead you into right relationships with everyone else. But it flows out of what God has already done through Jesus to make you right with Himself. I'm telling you, the key to an uncommon life, the key to to a set-apart life, the key to a holy life, the key to an uncommon life is understanding righteousness. It's understanding this right relationship that you have been freely given, that you did literally nothing to earn. It's understanding righteousness. Now, unfortunately, we get to thinking, I'm only as saved as the highlights in my Bible. I'm only as saved as my, my church attendance. And I grew up around Christians, pastors even, who believed that they'd be able to tell everybody who was a Christian and not based on what they deemed was appropriate in their life. And let me just say this for the record. If that is the faith that you espouse, you will be shocked who's in heaven. You'll be getting in there and be like, yeah, yeah, whoa, what is he doing here? I guess that gift was really free and for everyone. You will be shocked who's in heaven if that's what you really believe. The life, the focus, the power is in the performance of Jesus. It's simply receiving what he's already given you, the free gift of righteousness. It's receiving what he's already given you. Now, I want to jump back into the text for a moment. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 gives us a little bit of context. It says, when the days draw near, drew near for him to be taken up, in other words, for Jesus to accomplish the righteousness of God on the cross, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So Jesus is currently on a journey heading to Jerusalem. And he, and he gets into a certain town near Jerusalem. We know from other texts that is the town of Bethany, which is right outside of Jerusalem near the Mount of Olives. You can see Jerusalem from Bethany. And he gets into Bethany. And on his mind is this. The time has come. Right? He set his face to go to Jerusalem for a specific purpose. The time has come. He's going to finish the work. He's heading to accomplish the righteousness of God for everybody. He who knew no sin is about to become sin for you, for, for me, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And on his way to accomplish this work, he comes to a home. And here's what happens next. Mary and Martha are in the kitchen. Right, they're cooking up some mean falafels and some, some sweet Mediterranean cod. And they're like, hey, hey yeah. And, they, and they're, they're cooking. And, um, pardon me, I had to take a drink of water. Martha's over here. Mary, can you, can you get the, um, the falafel mix? And we're going we're gonna to whip up some batter here. And they're working. And I'm like, oh, Mary, what do you think? We should have Jesus pray over this. Um, that was funny. Uh, and so they're cooking, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Mary gets drawn away. Now think about this. They're cooking in the kitchen here for the Messiah of the world. God of the universe is in their living room right now. The one who made them and made everything, he's sitting here, and over the process of time, Mary is helping Martha, and, and she sees and she's like, okay, yeah, Martha, just, uh, just a second, Martha, hang on, just, 
yeah, I'll be, um, I'll be right back. Just, uh, just submit. And, she, and Jesus is sitting there quietly, and Mary comes over like, hey, Jesus, can you tell me once again what it was like when you spoke the stars into existence? I, I don't know what they were talking about. Can you imagine, though, what you would ask the creator of everything? She's just sitting there just enraptured in what Jesus is saying. Can you imagine this moment to just even to look into his eyes, let alone to hear him speak? Perfection. Tempted in every way as us, but without sin. Pure love, pure compassion, pure, pure mercy, pure wisdom. Second person of the Trinity. She sat there at the Lord's feet and she just listened. She, the text says she was listening and literally, if you look it up in the original language, listening, it, it's, literally it says she was hanging on every word. Just absolutely tuned out to everything else. And here's what comes next. It's a scenario that basically sums up what we've been describing. Martha is doing what she feels like she should be doing. She's probably the matriarch of the home. And she's, you know, over here working on something. And, and, and going over to the mixing bowl, the toast pops up, the, the falafels need to be flipped. And, and she looks over and, well, this isn't fair. Like, I've got to do all this stuff for the Messiah. This is, Mary, what are you? And so she walks into the living room and she addresses Jesus with this, like, tone of um, authoritative contempt, right? And, and it's so indicative of our nature, right? When we feel like things aren't fair, who do we blame? We tend to blame God. And I love this. She's ordering, Jesus, will you? She's ordering God around, which is so classic, so, so self-centered of us humans, so classic human of her. In fact, it kind of reminds me of me when I'm not spending a whole lot of time with Jesus, Jesus, you tell my sister that she's got to at least do something, maybe empty the dishwasher. She's, she's got to, this isn't fair. Lord, I'll tell you who you need to vote for. I'll tell you what you need to look like and how you need to dress and what kind of opinions you need to have in this conversation. She's ordering God around. She has not been the one spending time with him. And, and Jesus gives a shocking answer because she... I love this. She says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me? Which indicates at one point Mary was here. And, and now she's not. She, she left. She said, well, don't you care that this happened? I want you to pay close attention to the movement of Mary and Martha in the text here. Because it's important. Because it's very similar to the heart condition that maybe we experience at times. Don't you care that my sister has left me? And a lot of times in Scripture when somebody lays a request in front of Jesus. Jesus, please tell my sister to come back into the kitchen. A lot of times, Jesus immediately fulfills that request. But here, he diverges from that pattern, and he says, no. No. Um, he acknowledges her emotional disposition, and in saying her name twice, it's a cultural reference to a close sense of intimate friendship. Martha, Martha, you're worked up about so many things. That you're anxious about so many things that, that you don't need to be anxious about. Some of you just need to apply that right there on the spot. But Jesus says to Martha, you, you're so worked up and anxious about things you don't need to be worked up about. 
The falafels can wait. I love fish, but I can speak one. You, you, you don't need to be so worked up, Martha. And listen closely. Mary, Mary has chosen what is the good portion. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will will not be taken away from her. It will not be taken away from her. It, it will not be taken. Now, I, I wonder if I'm Mary here. I wonder her emotional experience in this moment. Oh, oh no. Martha's got a point. I, I was kind of careless. Jesus, I know, I know. I gotta, I gotta get back. I gotta go. I gotta. And Martha makes a lot of sense, doesn't she, right? Hey, come on. You gotta pull your weight around here. If you're gonna serve the Lord, you, you, you gotta do something. You gotta at least come back and, and mix the batter. You gotta at least put the dishes in the dishwasher. And, and you know who Martha sounds like? Martha sounds like Maybe some of us preachers at times. Martha sounds like maybe some Christians we know. The difference between Martha and Mary here, I think, is the difference between a stale religion and an actual relationship. It's, it's the difference between righteousness and this oppressive form of religiosity. It's the difference between uh, being so worked up and concerned about this religious standard that people are holding over you and, and at just receiving God's acceptance that Jesus has already made possible for you. Oh, now you think everything is good? You just forgiven and so you don't need to do anything anymore? You, 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 got, you got to pull your weight around here. You got you to man up and start, start living righteously. You got to feed the homeless. You haven't memorized anything in the Bible yet? You should probably get on doing that. You haven't tithed? You're not tithing? What kind of Christian are you? What are you still doing over here? Well, I, you know, I was just listening to how much he loves me. I was just kind of captured by his love for me and, and this relationship. Well, that's all, that's all well and good, but once you, you know, once you know he loves you, you got to get busy with serving him. You know how much we love to define how people love God? Right? Church attendance, uh, how much they give, how, how, much, how many highlights are in their Bible. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of church attendance. I really hope that I'll see you here next week. I really hope your kids are plugged into youth group every single week. I think you should highlight your Bible. I think that's a good thing. I think you should give. Hello. But you know, the Bible doesn't use those as benchmarks to tell if you love God. What does the Bible say is the one way to be able to know if you love God? If you keep his commandments. And Jesus says the one way to know, to, to fulfill all of his commandments, just, just love me and receive my love for you. And that's just going to be so natural to come out of you that you're going to love other people. If, if you just love me and receive my love, it's just, it's, it's so basic. It, you just start loving other people. 
You just love them. It's everybody. Like, I don't care. Everybody, I love everybody because of the enormous amount of love that I've received from God. It is impossible to keep God's commandments and love everybody else unless you first receive from Him this unconditional love. Like, that's where it starts. That is the base out of which everything else flows. Oh, we're, we're, we're so busy serving Him that we forgot to let Him love us. But I'll tell you, that's, this is not the kind of Christianity that people like to talk about. It's not very popular in our society and in our culture. Why? Because we, we love to measure things. We love to predict things. We love to control things. Why? So, so we know how to feel good about ourselves. And at least if we don't, we know what's wrong. That's why people don't want to really talk about the free gift of righteousness. Because it's not appeasing to our flesh. Because righteousness comes how? Like, like this? Thank you. That's how you get righteousness, according to the Bible. And we do this, if we're not careful, we tell people, Jesus, hold on a second, did you get it? Are you, are you, are you righteous now? Are you good with God? I, I think so, yeah. Okay, then let's go. Well, where are we going? Well, we're going to go do more right things. Well, Why? So things stay good. But he's still over there. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a big line of people over there who, you know, still need to get more righteousness. But once you got that righteousness, you need to focus on doing right things. Why? Here's what I'm saying. There is no power. There is no power in simply trying to do right things so you stay right with God. You don't need to be a Christian. Newsflash, you don't need to be a Christian to do right things. When did holding doors open and giving nice tips become our, our act of worship, our high act of worship? That's called an act of humanity. That's just being a human. You don't need to be a Christian to do right things on a basic and moral level. That doesn't make us any different. No, Jesus is saying that the one thing that is necessary in life is to receive this right relationship with God that has been made made possible by Jesus' performance alone and had nothing to do with anything you brought to the table. That is what's necessary in life. And, And just to stay here in this space and go where He goes. And do what he does. You can be right with God forever simply by receiving a right relationship with Jesus. Simply stay here in this relationship that he's offering to you right now. And move where he moves. And go where he goes. And say what he says. Live in the overflow of the love that He is offering you right here. It's out of this that everything in life that matters happens. You, you can receive, you can be right with God forever simply by receiving 
this relationship, and Martha missed it. She, she missed it. Right? Notice, notice the movement of Martha in this text, right? Yeah, Jesus, I know you're over here, but I need to do stuff for you over here, and then I'll bring it back to you over here. And I'm just like, if Jesus is over here, I think I just want to stay over here and be close to him. Here's what really gets me in this, going in the story. At some point, right, Jesus is sitting over here in the kitchen or in the, in the living room and Mary and Martha are doing stuff for Jesus over here in the kitchen and Mary was doing stuff and she just kind of glances over and there was just something about him. There's something in his eyes or his presence. Or, there was just something about Jesus and, and she, gets, she just kind of gets drawn away. There's just something about Jesus that captivates her and she just gets drawn away. And, and there is some stuff that we're trying to do for God, that we're trying to not do for God, that we're trying to quit for God. And, and there is some good work going on over here. There really is. But here's what I'm thinking is going to happen in your life if this happens. This is what I've been praying for. This is what I believe for your life. Is that the same Jesus that just drew Mary away, that just captivated her attention, is going to capture yours as well. And that you're going to want to just be here out of which you do stuff for and with Jesus. That my belief and my prayer is that, that this never happens unless Jesus is here. But if he's over here, this is kind of where I want to be. Because it's out of this that everything that matters in your life, anything that will last beyond your life, it's out of this that it flows from. Because of this, Mary's close relationship with Jesus, following him wherever he goes, it's because of this relationship that we begin to see Mary's life transformed from the inside out. And Jesus says this, this relationship will not be taken away. Mary realized she could be right with God simply by receiving the right relationship with Jesus. And the sad thing we often believe about God is I'm not right with God because I've messed up. God, you're a million miles away because I've done something wrong. And that is not true. Your emotions, your feelings, they're lying to you. This will not be taken away. This free gift of righteousness that's based entirely on what He has done and has nothing to do with your performance or, frankly, your lack thereof. In Jesus, you have unlimited access to God. You're not here at Wallen Lake Community Church this morning because some pastor has un unlimited access to God that you don't, and we speak as oracles of God. You're not, you're not here this morning because our worship band has this special power to bring the Holy Spirit down on everybody. Like, you have the same access to God that we all have. We're all in this together, and this will not be taken away. Ha! I love this! Because you don't got to be anyone special to do Jesus says all you got to do is just sit and receive. Anybody can crisscross applesauce. You don't got to be a theologian to do that. You don't got to be a scholar or have a Bible college degree to do that. In, in fact, actually, in some cases, you got to go back to being a child to do that. And just sit here and think, man, all I know is I was once 
separated from God. And Jesus did all the work possible to make it possible for me to be made right with God. And if you don't mind, I just want to kind of sit here for a moment. And I am done living one more day on this planet thinking, I'm in, I'm out, I'm right with God, I'm not right with God, I messed up so I don't feel good, I'm doing well so I feel awesome, I'm in, I'm out. We got Christians wondering after one bad day if they're going to be in heaven. This is not good news. It's not. The good news is that anybody can be right with God forever simply by receiving what Jesus has already done. So please tell somebody that everybody is welcome at the feet of Jesus and it is this, a relationship with God that can never be taken away from them. You can be right with God forever simply by receiving this right relationship with Jesus. You no longer have to live this exhausting performance-based life. You can experience the freedom of a right relationship again today. Maybe for the first time. There's some of you who are here this morning and you're, you're right with God. You're justified. You've been saved. But you've been living for years convinced and persuaded that you're only right with God when you're doing right. And I want so much more for you. I want you to be really free. Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You have all the intimacy and proximity to God that any one of us has because proximity is made possible by the performance of Jesus and not yours. I want to invite you today to lay down your performance-based religiosity thinking you're right with God when you do right, you're not right with God when you don't do right. You don't need to live with this exhausting, exhausting form of Christianity. You, you can find rest to your soul. You can experience the freedom of the gospel. You can experience a supernatural energy that will transform your life. Maybe you're here today and you've never received this righteousness. You've never received what Jesus has done on your behalf. You've been trying to, to earn your way into a better life after you die. Romans 10.9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, believe that Jesus died and rose again to pay the penalty for your sin and give you a new life. Believe that and confess that he is now the Lord of your life. He's the one in charge. He gets to call the shots and you'll be saved. Saved from what? Saved from having to pay for your own sin. Saved from having to live this exhaustion, this, this daily grind every day trying to, trying to earn a better life for yourself that hopefully by the end of your life will even matter for eternity. You'll be saved from having to do it on your own. You can be saved to a relationship with God that's been made possible by Jesus. So maybe you're here this morning and, and you've been saved, but you're trying to still earn your own favor with God. Trying to live up to a standard that is just exhausting. Or maybe you, you haven't been. And today is the day that you can receive forever 
a right relationship with God. I want to encourage you to close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. And I want to encourage you to do business with God. I'm I'm just going to pause for a few minutes, maybe a minute. And I want to encourage you to talk to God about this. If if you are saved, but you've you've been trying to live out your false belief that you're only right with God when you do right and, and you're just done living that way. You want to receive what Jesus has done on your behalf again and again and again and constantly live in this freedom. I want to encourage you to talk to God about that. And maybe you are ready to receive the gift of Jesus for the first time, this right relationship with God that can never be taken away. And if that's you, I want to encourage you I don't need to give you special words. Like you can, you can talk to God right now and confess your sin to Him and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and confess that He's the Lord of your life now. And the Bible says you'll be saved. You don't got to do anything to earn the gift of God. And maybe you just need to go back to being a child and believe and receive this free gift of righteousness. I'm going to give you a couple minutes, and when those couple minutes are over, the band is going to start playing. Do business with God. I want to confess that you are indeed Lord, and you've, you've offered what we want to receive, whether for the first time or just again. We pray, Lord, that you know, give us the freedom that you're offering in this right relationship, and that we'll come back again and again and again whenever we stray. And we'll find ourselves just lost in, in your presence. Pray that you would draw us in this morning. Amen.